You're listening to the Unhelded News and Review and Pharisee Watch brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths, Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. In today's podcast for Unheralded News, and Pharisee Watch, we've got two different topics. Of course, the hot topic today just recently has been the issue of Palestinian statehood, and Chuck Carlson has written an editorial about the Palestinian bid for statehood, and it's titled, once again, Chuck has done a little bit provocative here, Abbas and Statehood, Scheme for Status Quo Without Hamas. And then also, we're going to have a piece from an evangelical Christian that's entitled, My Take, Jesus Would Support Palestinian Statehood Bid. So it's kind of a follow-up from an evangelical Christian who has worked and lived in the Middle East, and I think it's a, he's got an interesting perspective and confirms what we at We Hold These Truths have been saying about Christian Zionists. Leslie, would you read us the Abbas piece, please? Mahmoud Abbas received continuous and general applause as he started his speech to the UN General Assembly, while a dozen or more men and women were seen walking out of the hall in protest. He proceeded with a rambling 45-minute red speech, which received more applause during and at the end. If one can judge by the response, most attendees are sympathetic with statehood but President Obama has promised to veto its statehood. What are we not told about Abbas and the UN that we need to know? Don't be surprised if the USA does not veto Palestinian statehood in the United Nations. And if so, it would not mean President Obama has suddenly changed his mind and heart, only his political tactics. My guess is he will support a resolution that calls for statehood, but one that again ties the Palestinians to negotiation of boundaries and details. He and Israel would both accomplish a public relations ploy that would, in fact, maintain the status quo. It would not mean the Philistines will get fair play at 44 years or more of occupation. A sudden shift to U.S. support for a watered-down, agree-to-agree statehood would be just another clever way of controlling the Philistines' government, much as the USA controls the governments of Iraq, Afghanistan, and probably Pakistan. 
The U.S. is an empire, which means its business is to put rulers in office over those it wants to control, leaders who the victims are supposed to think represent them. The motive for allowing statehood, engineered by Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, PA, is not hard to understand. The entire world knows that Israel is the brutal occupier and pressure on the USA is growing. The seemingly benign and fumbling Abbas is the perfect poker partner for the next stage of a planned stall game to eliminate Hamas. Abbas does not represent a lawful government over the Palestinian people. Hamas does. Abbas draws his paycheck from the USA. Hamas does not. Abbas and the Palestine Authority are part of the U.S. empire. Hamas is not. If you accept the inescapable fact that Israel is also a part of that system, the picture clears. But for the PA to rule, Hamas must be eliminated. The bumbling gray-haired grandpa in the $1,000 blue suit called Mahmoud Abbas real name Abu Hamza, is a wealthy Palestinian businessman who was never elected in a free election. He took over when the unelected Yasser Arafat died. Six years ago, Abbas was defeated in the one free election of all those eligible to vote in both the West Bank and Gaza. The Philistines elected delegates from the Hamas party, as its parliamentary leaders. The Palestinian Authority was put in place by the United Nations during the Oslo Accord, so the Israelis would have someone to negotiate with the previous peace accord that never happened and the 18-year stall. When Hamas won the election, observed by former President Jimmy Carter, the U.S. and Israel thought they had the election under control and that Mahmoud Abbas and the PA would go on ruling the Philistines in the West Bank and Gaza. When an empire loses an election, something must be done fast, and the U.S. called in the ever-willing Israelis to nullify the election. It was easy for Israel they simply arrested most of Hamas' elected delegates to the Israeli parliament who lived in the West Bank, so Hamas could not function. The U.S. and the U.N. went on supporting the losing Palestine Authority, giving it money to pay its bureaucrats and police, pretending nothing had changed. But government did change inside little fenced-in Gaza. Hamas took the election seriously and simply took over and formed a popular government. It was not so easy for Israel to arrest Hamas leaders inside Gaza fences, though they did murder many. Hamas became the official and popular movement of Gaza, and they did not let go. So how does the U.S. Israel expect to unseat Hamas? Why not allow Abbas to arrange a statehood without borders and maneuver the weak-kneed UN to set up the PA 
as the new official government of the Philistines. It will still be an unelected dictatorship, but it will have UN support. The USA and Israel will come off as peacemakers. Once this is done, you can expect Israel to take violent military actions to kill or imprison every Hamas official they can find. Do I know this is the plan hatched up between Obama and Netanyahu? No. But it's too obvious that the two great war makers need a peace ploy to polish their images, and the USA has openly supported the PA for years. How can anyone think Mahmoud Abbas is acting on his own initiative? Israeli leaders have always said they will never give the land back and negotiation is a way of stalling. Hamas will not be stalled, so it must go. Conclusion, it is up to the United Nations to make good on what it did not do in 1947. If there is to be peace, it must create the state of Palestine in exactly the same way it acted then to create the state of Israel. Jews who have since built settlements, homes, or businesses inside the Palestinian mandate would then become Palestinian citizens with full voting rights in the new state and vice versa. Let those on both sides who want to move sell their property to do so. The United Nations clearly established these borders in 1947 with resolution number 181. Anything short of this is meaningless. The UN must be prepared to back up its act by sending in armed peacekeepers to the new state during transition to supervise a new general election in the new state. This plan for peace was outlined in Andrew J. Hurley's masterful 1990 classic, Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide, which was republished by WHTT.org with permission as One Nation Under Israel, which is still in print. Okay, thank you. That was excellent, Chuck. Uh, Certainly fantastic idea that the people that are in the areas that are contested become citizens of that particular country. What a amazing concept uh, yeah, and they simple, could go on living peacefully but that was the reason the way the original mandate was it's just when the israeli state was created they did not recognize the citizenship of the arabs who lived in it and only a few of them who were stubborn enough to stay ended up being citizens and many were actually killed uh, there were actually massacres to frighten them And so they basically ethnically cleansed all that territory by scaring the people out or killing them if they didn't leave. I'm not the only one who is questioning whether uh, this election is good for the Palestinians. There are many people who are saying that the whole idea of applying for citizenship is a bad idea simply because, first of all, getting statehood does not get them freedom. Uh, Hamas has come out and said, for instance, that you need to get your freedom first and then apply for statehood. And others have said that it's no solution to have statehood in a two-state solution 
there should be only one state in all of Israel, and everybody should be citizens. So I'm not even sure myself uh, that I agree with a two-state solution. Uh, I think that uh, perhaps the people who call for a one-state solution have a more practical end for the reasons that I've outlined in this story. Uh, I simply don't think there's enough courage within the United Nations to ever do this right. And therefore, the only thing we can expect is that they'll do it wrong, and in which case Mr. Obama might sign it. I think you're right. I mean, the fact is that we have one country here. We had troubles with our Indians, what we did the Indians and so forth. But as a result, we are a one country, all live in one, in one country. We've had problems. And, and where, we did, where we did Israeli. create reservations and put the Indians on them, we've now ended up with gambling casinos that are so- sovereign <laughs> states within our own state. So the, the, the idea didn't work very well here. We would have been better off yeah. letting the Indians become citizens. Well, that's that's right. I mean, that's caused all Indians kinds too. of problems. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, I think uh, anything short of uh, of doing a one-state solution, of course, that's not going to be acceptable to the the extremists, the 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 Likudists and so forth that are in Israel because of this, and to our Christian Zionist brothers here in the United States who literally worship uh, the state of Israel. So there would be a commotion beyond belief that would be heard throughout the United States if anything was to jeopardize in the Christian Zionist mind the state of Israel. So that has to be accomplished by common agreement. Uh, It can't be accomplished by edict, I don't think. Well, yes, uh, honest negotiations. We've seen the fact that the Israelis have continued to build settlements. Even when they said they weren't building settlements, they had laid out foundations, and actually when the the last freeze went into effect, they continued building there because they claimed that all the foundations were there. So they found ways to get around it. They have not backed off, and settlements continue to expand in Israel. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's quite clear that it would be much easier for the United Nations to decree a one-state solution than a two-state solution, because a one-state solution doesn't require any borders, and everybody just becomes a citizen of the state. But Yes. That, and that's such an obvious solution to this problem that it's no way the U.N. would have enough courage to ever put that across. Well, I think that's right, and and that's certainly the U.S. wouldn't, probably support that either. And I think your concept there of what is going to play out as as making the US and Israeli as peacemakers if they do accept this bid uh for statehood. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. In a follow-up story here from a evangelical, it's from the CNN blog. I think it's called CNN Belief Blog. So uh, they have an actual blog. This gentleman, his name is Carl Medeiros. He's an author of a number of books, Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelicalism. He wrote a book I found very interesting entitled Jesus, Muslims, and Christians. And he has lived 12 years in Lebanon and has dialogue with 
Muslims there and Christians in the Middle East. And what he has to say is is like almost coming out of the closet, we think, in, in a way, because he uh, makes these comments, and I'd like to read this. This week at the United Nations, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has promised to ask for recognition of a Palestinian state. If he does, the United States will veto. Why? Largely because of something we call Christian Zionism, an American theological movement that preaches a Christian obligation to help Jews reclaim the biblical promised land. I travel constantly speaking about the Middle East to evangelical Christians across America and Europe. I lived in Lebanon for 12 years, and churches invite me to talk about how to love their Muslim neighbors. Often before I get invited to speak at churches and Christian conferences, I go through an awkward period of questioning, an interview that feels more like an interrogation. Pastors and conference leaders want to size me up and to make sure I'm quote-unquote safe for Christian audiences. The interrogation usually goes something like this. Carl, we love your books and your message. You have a a lot of insight on how Christians can be more Jesus-like to our Middle Eastern neighbors. We hope you will talk a lot about that. Translation, please, for the love of God, don't say anything controversial about Israel or the Palestinians. Though they are too polite to ask, what those pastors and conference leaders want to know is what is my position on Israel. For them, the modern Jewish state is a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the catalyst for a series of events that will culminate in the return of Jesus. As the Palestinian press had in their bid for statehood, prepare to hear from this crowd. These Christians number in the tens of millions, and they go into a state of frenzy every time a politician so much as winks at the idea of Israeli giving up a few settlements or withdrawing to pre-1967 borders. They'll tell you their concern has nothing to do with their particular interpretation of the Bible and everything to do with America and Israel's national security interests. Don't believe a word of it. When it comes to U.S. policy on Israel and the Middle East, Christian Zionism is the elephant in the room. Christian Zionists believe that when God told Abraham 4,000 years ago, quote, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, unquote, he was making a promise that extends to the modern state of Israel. Any nation that curses Israel will face God's judgment. Not all evangelical Christians believe this, but the ones that do are the loudest voices in the media and they lead huge organizations. Television evangelists like Pat Robertson and John Hagee mobilize millions of Christians each year to write to their congressmen demanding that Israel be allowed to expand settlements indefinitely. They seem to oppose every peace deal that comes to the table. There's a reason for this. In their minds, the modern state of Israel is not only a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, it is a, and also in a bizarre twist that leaves most outsiders dumbfounded. Christian Zionists say the Bible predicts that Jews and Palestinians will be forever at war until Jesus returns. They say the only person that will bring peace before the end of the age is, wait for it, the devil. 
in the form of the Antichrist. When you hear some Christian politicians say the land belongs to Israel, what they're really saying is if America blesses Israel, that is, if it gives uncritical support to the Jewish state, God will bless America. If America curses Israel, God will curse America. When it comes to Israel and her neighbors, many Christian Zionists believe that peacemaking is the devil's work. They may forget that it was Jesus who said, Blessed are the peacemakers. One of the reasons Jesus was crucified was because of his refusal to embrace a nationalist agenda. But Christian Zionism blesses military action by the modern state of Israel under the banner of national security, including the demolition of Palestinian homes to pave the way for new settlements. So how would Jesus vote this week if he had a seat at the U.N.? Surely love, compassion, and justice, peacemaking would top his list of concerns for all involved. Maybe he would give a new parable, the parable of good Palestinian, offending all who would hear. Rather than allowing obscure Old Testament promises to dictate our foreign policy, what if we stuck to the clear commands of God? Love your neighbor, your enemy, and the foreigner in your midst which appear in Exodus, Leviticus, and three of the four Gospels. Many Christians in America think of Jews and Christians as us, and anything that sounds Muslim or Arabic as the other. But the call of Jesus is to be more loving towards the other than towards the people we think of as us. The command works both ways. When I've had audiences with leaders In the Hezbollah or Hamas, I tell them the same thing, that Jesus said to love your enemies. Who are your enemies? Israel? It's true there are elements of Palestinian society that do not want peace, no matter matter the price. They need to be isolated and dealt with. The same goes for elements of Israeli society that don't want peace. Good news is that extremists are minorities on both sides of the conflict. People ask me all the time what I think about Israel and end times theology and how the Palestinians factor into that. Here's my answer. If your end times theology trumps the clear commands in Scripture to love neighbors and enemies, then it's time to rethink your theology. Out of quote. A very powerful and said many of the same things that we've done. Our hats off to Carl Maderas, Chuck. Any comments? Well, yeah, or? It, it, it was, and it echoes our, our theme that we have uh, been, I think that we kind of cl- claim, we don't, we don't claim to have invented the term Christian Zionism. We kind of re- used it reluctantly, but we did invent the definition of it, which I think has been the most important thing we've invented, and that is that Christian Zionism is a belief that the physical state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And once someone accepts that, then they can hardly go astray. Uh, that's how we've uh, found this work out. And I personally was a guest in Carl Maderas' home about a year ago, and uh, I've never heard from him since, but I did give him a copy of our DVD at that time. And uh, he was not talking about Christian Zionism that, at that time, and he was not talking about the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So maybe he got it from our DVD. Let's hope so. And if, <laughs> well, it if certainly he didn't, didn't hurt, Chuck. And... Other smart people. <laughs> well, it may be because we see other people that are kind of waking up in the evangelical field. 
uh, also. So, I recommend that our our readers go get a copy of our DVD, uh, Tragedy and Turning, and, and listen to it, and then read Carl Medeiros' article over again. And also our book, uh, One Nation Under Israel. Right, is available. By Andrew Hurley. That's our show for tonight, folks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.